17 minutes it is uh, before 9 p.m. and uh, we go under the microscope. And today we're taking a look at issues of gender equality or inequality in the world of academia. Now, uh, many of you uh, would be uh, familiar with uh, the fact that we have 26 higher education institutions and only four of those uh, have uh, female vice chancellors. Those are the University of Mpumalanga, Nelson Mandela University, uh, University of Cape Town, and the University of Zululand, where Togomaiki, Sosbongele Mutua, Mamukheti Pakeng, and Kuliswam Tose, respectively, are at the helm. Now, uh, we have also seen that uh, there's a large number of uh, women who are lecturers and junior lecturers, and uh, uh, we see really a strong showing when it comes to uh, many of the uh, teaching and administrative roles. But uh, when we talk about decision-making roles, uh, the representation leaves a lot to be desired. And uh, that also, of course, uh, constrains and frames the possibilities for career progression and pathways uh, for females and uh, women in the world of higher education. And I'm joined uh, from HERS essay by the director there, Brightness Mangolotti, to speak about this particular issue and uh, to uh, see how, uh, as a society, systemically and policy-wise, we can be able to address this particular issue. Brightness, good evening to you, Siswam, and welcome to Metro FM Talk. Good evening, Ayabonga. Thank you very much. Uh, Brightness, let's maybe start off here. Uh, I'd, I'd be quite interested to hear from you, firstly, what HERS essay is and the work that you guys do, and uh, I guess how that responds to uh, the situation that you find uh, obtains on the ground in many higher education institutions, especially as it relates to black African women uh, fulfilling the roles uh, that are in decision-making functions in these institutions. I have honor, thank you. Uh, has essays, let me start by saying it stands for Higher Education Resource Service in South Africa. And what our role is, is developing women in higher education for leadership positions. So that's what we are doing currently. Okay. And, uh, you know, just, just briefly, uh, how does that interaction play itself out? Uh, is it just a matter of advocacy or... Uh, do you uh, work in recruiting people who are in decision-making roles there or who are crucial, I guess, to uh, career progression and pathways in the higher education uh, sector? Our role is multifaceted. Uh, for starters, we do training for women in leadership, and then we also do advocacy. We create an awareness on the role of women in higher education. Just last week, we had a full-week academy that started on the 15th of September until the 19th of September, Mm. where we went through the whole process of leadership. And we had women of the caliber of Tulima Donzella, the deputy minister of women, youth, and people with uh, disabilities, uh, Judith Lamini. The conversation was about women. How do they lead in higher education? But also looking into issues such as gender-based violence, looking into issues of self-care, looking into the understanding of issues of intersectionality, where we look at... In fact, maybe I should explain that the challenge that we are currently having in higher education, when we look at women, we look at women as universal. And what we also need to appreciate that there is a multi-jeopardy when you deal with issues that are affecting women. Mm. You can look into issues such as race. You can look into issues such as gender, the age of the women. You can also look into the issue of class. And that on its own shows that the experiences of women are different. Although you might find in most cases we just say women. But if you look at the hierarchy of women experiences, 
More importantly, with black women, they have the most oppression in higher education. Mm-hmm. Let's talk. Let's talk about how that uh, repression plays itself out. Because uh, you know, in many instances, uh, we see men dominating senates. We see men dominating university councils. We see men dominating, you know, faculties and uh, some of the decision-making functions in those faculties. And and many uh, people uh, suggest, and rightfully so, that uh, uh, despite that, it is women that carry much of the teaching burden, much of the supervision burden, uh, in many of the uh, faculties themselves. And yet. Uh, demographically starved of uh, decision-making power? Uh, to, to actually dissect and understand the issue of women inequality in higher education, it will be naive of us to ignore what has happened during the apartheid system. And the reality during the apartheid system, women did not have the opportunities that they currently have. Although a lot has been done, a lot that there is still a lot that needs to be done in higher education. And what we also need to appreciate, for us to reflect in higher education, we also need to look at a macro level. What is currently happening in South Africa as a nation? And there's a societal attitude towards women in South Africa where women are undermined. Women are not treated equally in comparison to other gender, which is problem number one. But problem number two is that most women do not have a seat at the table. And when you get a a situation where women are appointed, in most cases, it's a ceremonial appointment. Correctly, as you are saying, if you look into strategic committees where decisions are made, such as your Senate, such as the Research Committee, Ethics Committee, a number of committees that exist in higher education, you'll find that they are white male-dominated. And that actually means, in most cases, those males would prefer to keep the status quo. And that will mean that there are few women, and because most women do not have PhDs, that also contributes to the fact that they will be focusing more on teaching undergraduates. And that will mean also that they are not engaged in the core of the business of higher education. They are not engaged in the decision-making of the higher education, which provides challenges in higher education. Mm. Let's pause there for a second, uh, Mrs. Brightness. And uh, uh, when we come back, I want us to continue uh, to speak about, uh, I guess, you know, the function that uh, many uh, uh, women academics could play in the task and I would venture to say the emotional labor of uh, providing support to, uh, uh, you know, black African students who feel uh, that they don't have the right mentors, who feel lost, who feel isolated, least of all in postgraduate study uh, where, you know, people are working independently. There's a difficulty of transitioning from your undergraduate to postgraduate experience. Uh, and uh, for many, uh, you might be the first one to go into a university space and uh, you potentially don't have that kind of support system. And, and how do we make sure that um, we, we maybe mainstream some of those experiences and place them at the center of our conversation? We continue on the other side of this brief break. Seven minutes it is uh, before 9 p.m. Under the microscope, we place gender inequality in uh, the world of academia, in higher education and uh, training. And I'm in conversation with uh, uh, director at HERS SA, Brightness Mangoloti, and uh, we are speaking about uh, some of the issues that uh, uh, women academics are facing in their places of work. And uh, just before we went to the break, Brightness, I was talking about, I guess, the, the emotional task often undertaken by many uh, women academics of uh, providing support to uh, students who feel alienated or battling to transition, uh, be it from high school into undergraduate studies or from undergraduate studies into postgraduate studies. 
uh, and many of whom uh, might be first-generation students to even go into a university. Uh, we often don't speak a lot about that nor shine a spotlight on it. Uh, can we maybe just briefly unpack that? Because in many ways that also influences uh, whether or not we're able to build the second and third and maybe fourth layer of uh, a black African female academics or, or not. Very interesting question, uh, Ayabonga. Uh, maybe I should also declare that I'm a first graduate in my family, so mm. it's a very interesting question that you're asking. And why am I saying that? Um, being a black woman, having been an academic for the past 16 years, I've had an opportunity of teaching students. And part of being a black woman, you, 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 you are burdened with the responsibility of actually taking care of black students. With the massification of higher education, that means we want to transform and we want to attract black students. And the challenge is that uh, black students are normally isolated, especially in white universities, where you find dominantly white students and then there's a black student. So being a black academic, you are left with the responsibility of nurturing and providing the support for black students. I can't say I've done justice, but I think I've done my part on that one. Mm. But what I've found very interesting is that with a student, it's a very lonely space. They don't have people to talk to. When you look at the professors that they are white, some of the students, they still come from the black rural area where they haven't really encountered a white professor. And it becomes a challenge for them to actually engage with this particular professor. So the, the form of support that is provided in higher education, the mere fact of a lack of black academic provides a challenge for students. So the more black academics we will have in higher education, the more opportunities that we can retain black students in higher education. Mm. That is one point. The second point is the issue of language. I think sometimes when we talk about language, you only think about language as an issue that affects only black students. The language also affects white students, profoundly African-speaking students, who have a challenge. Most of them, they are A students, but when they get into a higher education where they are expected to learn in English, it becomes a challenge. And I think that's a conversation that we haven't really engaged on because normally the black students are identified as the problem student. I've worked with black students. And I've realized most black students have potential. It's just that they need that someone who can hold their head. Mm. And it, it, it's quite fair that it can actually be overwhelming as a black woman who is caring, who wants to assist the student, because then it shifts your responsibility on focusing on issues such as research, focusing on issues such as engagement. Because here you are, you're trying to provide the support that the black student needs. That is not going to get in from any other person. So if, if we are going to talk about transformation, it's not only about changing faces, but there's a relationship between a student and an academic. So by virtue of bringing that transformation, it allows the transition of a student, profoundly a black student, to be smooth within higher education. Mm, mm. Well, one of the other things that uh, you know has been raised, I, I guess, consistently, at least of all since uh, uh, the Fees Must Fall moment, is that many of the challenges around gender-based violence and what many students have referred to as rape culture in many of our institutions continue to persist largely because uh, the people who have decision-making power to do something about uh, these issues, uh, because 
for all intents and purposes, many of them are men. I mean, someone was saying there are more your huns at Stellenbosch than there are African women teaching there. And and, and that should potentially say something. There are more your huns who are professors, sorry. Uh, uh, that's what the person said. There are more Johans who are professors than African women who teach at the University of Stellenbosch. And in that kind of context where, uh, uh, you know, some people will come and set up a gender office, uh, sometimes it feels like the responses aren't adequate because uh, uh, in many instances people don't f- have an intimate understanding of the issue, nor do they feel it as an issue that uh, they are particularly vulnerable to. I think what, what, what you're saying is actually true. Maybe uh, for a lack of a better way, uh, extracting also from what you have said, I think the Johans, in most cases, they have a helicopter view mm. of what is really happening. They are not really in touch with the reality in higher education. Sometimes I don't blame the Johan because it's the space that they're operating in and the issues that they have to deal with, they are actually divorced from them. Mm. Hence, that diversity in higher education is actually needed. There is a problem also of having the gender institute, gender centers. Sometimes you have a center that is basically actually research-based. And you find it's about having research papers, but it's not actually engaging with the people who are affected by gender issues. Mm. So there, there, there is a need for awareness. And I find what, what, what is very discouraging sometimes in higher education, when we engage on issue of gender-based violence, it's a question of a student taking the, uh, the initiative, having the match, and there is a long process that they need to undergo to get permission mm-hmm. and, 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 and. But the reality also, you find that with these particular centers, they are not well-resourced to actually provide the support mm-hmm. that is needed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when they create an awareness, it's a question of just sending an email. And there are no conversations that take place which are multiple, uh, 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 that looks at different stakeholders. And the problem currently when we talk about gender-based violence, it's mainly aimed or awareness are aimed at women. And we need to bring all the stakeholders involved so that they become sensitized on the issues Mm. of gender in higher education. But at at this particular moment, I think it's a conversation between women. It's a conversation mm. about men, sure. but it's not a conversation with men. Mm-hmm. Siswam, and uh, I like that you make that point at the end. And uh, where can people uh, find hers? essay? Many of our colleagues working in uh, the universities uh, would uh, certainly want this, least of all those who are much younger and uh, who are uh, a relatively newer entrance. Uh, into uh, the uh, university space as academics and as people who might also be working as administrators. Uh, how do you find uh, HERS SA uh, as a site of support? At the moment, I would advise people to go to our website, which is hersa.org.za. And then also, we are also available on social media platforms. Mm. Alternatively, they can contact me so that we can engage further. Okay. Siswam de Bulele and thank you very much uh, for uh, coming on to Metro FM Talk uh, to share uh, this particular issue with us under the microscope. Thank you. Thank you very much. That there was Brightness Mangoloti uh, from uh, Hers SA, uh, where she is a uh, director speaking to us uh, this evening uh, here on uh, Metro FM Talk. It's just a little after 9 p.m. We're going to leave you with a man with the music uh, for 9 to midnight. Central is already here, and uh, you have yourself a great evening. Take strength, Africa. Ask Akribi. Okoye Banga. Lay Konam.